look in, um, whenever you look in Scripture, sort of like we'll be talking about in, in the message today, uh, sometimes God has to spend so much time trying to break through sort of calloused attitudes and hearts. And so on a, on a day like today and in worship, whenever His people are really just pursuing Him, just period, just because there's the opportunity to worship, going after Him with all they have. Um, I believe it's a special opportunity for, for God to do some work in our hearts today. And so, uh, yeah, thank you for worshiping. Hey, um, I want to invite the ushers forward right now. We're about to take up this morning's um, offering. But uh, as they do, if you haven't um, known this, on Wednesday nights, we just started this last week, uh, we have a men's Bible study happening here in the sanctuary and a women's Bible study happening in the cafe. And uh, we just wanted to let you know that it's not too late to jump in. Yeah, these classes are designed to where you do not have to, if you miss, you do not have to worry about it. Come on and just come on the next Wednesday night. And we do have childcare available, so that's really awesome. And the kids have a great program that is going on right now, too. And if you want to bring a snack, bring a snack. We'll have a few snacks here, but if you have a favorite snack or finger food, bring that, and we'll have something to eat while we're here, too. Tell them about what your yeah. class is about. So our ladies' class is called How Much More? It's a study by Lisa Harper, who's hilarious and fun. It's It's been, last week was really good. Um, and it's it's about discovering God's extravagant love in unexpected places. So it's all about God's love. And we're just there to have fun. We've talked about having fun for, you know, our, our summertime. It's just about yeah. fun and diving into God's word and building relationships. Yeah. And so the men's study is called Man Meets God. And we're kind of focused on uh, letting different men in the church tell their story about how they met God and then unpacking some sort of theme from their life. Uh, that they would want the rest of men to know. Can I say this about guys? Sometimes we're terrified about the notion of a Bible study. If I come, are you going to make me talk? Uh, the answer is no. Everyone can talk. No one has to. Uh, you are free to eat chips, drink water, and listen, my friend. But um, it, it is going to be its going to be fantastic. And uh, this last week was fantastic. So thank you, honey. Hey, uh, this morning as we receive our offering, I want to read you a couple of verses. Uh, this is Paul in 2 Corinthians. He says this, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. A couple of things from this. One thing this simply says is that God will make the grace abound to us so that we can abound in the grace of, of giving. And whenever he emphasizes giving joyfully, um, I have the great misfortune right now of car shopping and looking for a new vehicle. Uh, that is money that I absolutely hate to part with. And sometimes we can think in terms of that whenever it comes to giving. But why should we able to give joyfully? There may be a number of things that I would never pay for joyfully, but certainly I can give joyfully. Well, why? Because whenever I give, I'm seeking to meet the needs that thrill the heart of God. And so if I'm thrilling the heart of God, I can know that I'm, I'm doing something that is definitely worthy of joy. Uh, secondly, I can know that I'm obeying the will of God. So if God tells me to give cheerfully, and if he, he ordains in his kingdom that what he gives to us, a portion of that can also and should always go through us, then we can know that in giving, we are securing the blessing and protection of God over the rest. And that's a good place to be. 
And so today, um, as we give, we give cheerfully. And we can give in all the normal ways, uh, four different ways listed behind me. However you do, just be sure and designate with that keyword wax for uh, this particular branch, the Waxahachie branch of the Trinity family. That'll ensure anything that's given today is designated and earmarked for this campus, okay? I'm going to pray, and as we give, uh, Pastor Brian has a few announcements for us. Lord, we love you, and it is our pleasure to give to you what has come from your hand. And so, God, we do give cheerfully, not under compulsion, but with what we have determined in our hearts to give. And Lord, we pray that you take it. I pray that you bless everything we give. Help it go far for your purposes. And Lord, I pray that you um, that you bless the givers. And God, that we truly would experience what you say, that it is better to give than to receive. Lord, drive that home to our hearts, and it is our pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen. How are you doing today, church? Is everybody doing okay? Yes. Hey, I'm so excited to see everyone here today. It's it's God's doing some awesome things in our church. Can't you tell? It's been awesome. We, I mean, from food distributions and people being fed to people coming to life for the first time. Hey, Pastor Tim gave a great word last week. And you know what he said about our church? He said he feels life in here. Isn't that a good thing? Aren't you glad that there's life in our church, that there's community, that there's relationships, that the kingdom of God is advancing in our hearts? in our homes and in our our youth our young adults all over the place so hey we're so excited to be with you this morning if you're new to our church if you look in the seat back in front of you there's some uh some a few cards the big blue one it's the new here card if you're new please fill it out we want to get to know you we want to reach out to you throughout the week and just make sure that we know that your face is in the place today or if you uh make some important decisions today this morning and and want to make some next steps in your life and you're not sure what to do fill out the next steps card and we'll reach out to you on on how you can complete those but yeah go ahead and fill those out and turn them back in the desk in the back but a couple of announcements that we have um, is our garage sale that I mentioned last week Um, so it's this youth garage sale is for you students that are going on mission trip and just for our youth in general I've already had so many people kindly reach out to me and donations upon donations but hey I'm really excited about this garage so I've never done something like this before but I'm stoked and I hope that it's a great turnout and I know we have some people helping out but hey it's June 18th market calendars it's Saturday June 18th if you want to come help out if you want to come shop we've had some awesome things donated you might pick up a couple gems you never know um, or also if you want to donate if you want to donate some more stuff we're always um, welcoming that and if it doesn't get sold in this garage so we have another one planned later this year I think sometime around but yes it's saturday june 18th from 8 a.m to 12 p.m so we hope to see you there especially you you students better see (laughs) y'all but um also on june 26th uh, sunday june 26th we have a membership class Uh, if you want to sign up for that if you want to become a member of our family here if you want to officially join and get that stamp of of a membership um, you can go ahead and sign up in the information table in the back uh, just sign your name up. It'll be from 5 to 7.30. We'll have meals provided. It's going to be great. And you'll get to find out more about what's going on in our church, what we believe, and what we're about. And it's a great time to just, yeah, fellowship with some new people. But anyways, I think that's it for announcements. Um, are you guys ready to hear the word today? Come on. Yes. Hungry hearts. So at this point, I want to invite Miss Rose up on the stage. And she's going to read us the word of God. And if everyone can stand for the reading of God's word. Good morning, church. Today's scriptures come from the books uh, of Matthew 6, 25 to 33, 
in Haggai chapter 1, verse 3 to 8. Matthew 6, 25 to 33. Therefore I tell you, don't worry about life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is where today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't, you, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. The book of Haggai, chapter 1, 3 to 8. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now the Lord of armies says this. Think carefully about your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough to be satisfied. You drink but never have enough to be happy. You put on clothes but never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. The Lord of armies says this. Think carefully about your ways. Go up into the hills, bring down lumber, and build a house, and I will be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. And this Trinity Church is God's Word. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you, Rose. Guys, I'm going to step down here to be with you guys. Thank you. It's good to be here. Good to be here, Jim Hood. So today we are, we're beginning a new series called Kingdom Come. And the idea is this. Uh, we want to be people who God can trust with his blessing and use for his purposes. Is there any greater desire that we can have as God's people than to be trustworthy with his blessings and to be used for his purposes? And so what we see there with the words of Jesus saying, seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these other things that you need will be added to you. There is no... I think idea in scripture that is maybe communicated more frequently in some form than that, but there is also nothing that is harder for us to do than that. Because there's this thing that runs through the human heart, uh, we can tend to be a bit selfish. Does anyone ever have problems with that? We, we tend to like ourselves. We tend to think quite a bit about ourselves. And so whenever God says, seek first anything else other than ourselves, sometimes we can really begin to wrestle with that. And so uh, I, I thought that we would set this up this morning, letting you hear from another preacher, a truly anointed preacher by the name of a Jim Gaffigan, okay? 
And so I have about 90 seconds of a video here that I think is going to set up this idea of kind of selfishness of the human heart and all the interesting ways that it shows up, okay? All right. Of course, the most annoying are those people in exceptionally good shape at the gym. I'm always like, what are you doing here? You're done. What are you, rubbing it in? Luckily, there's always one or two people at the gym you look at and you're like, don't bother. You're wasting your time. Then you realize it's just your reflection in the mirror. I don't get the mirrors, you know? I don't want to see myself working out. I know what I look like. That's why I'm going to the gym. Obviously, there's some people that do want that, right? They're like, if I'm going to be working out, I want to look at something like myself. I want to look at myself while I work on myself. I should do a recording so I can listen to myself while I look at myself while I work on myself as I leave through myself magazine. Read how myself can improve myself. Maybe I'll go to my Facebook page and look at photos of myself. Read what myself has written about myself. Yo soy muy importante. Thank you. I've never done this before. I love you. I appreciate you. <laughs> hey, and um, I realize we can't spend too long right here, but you know who's with us today? Um, a young man we've been praying for that the Lord will bring out of the hospital. Can we welcome Bradley? We're glad you're back, young man. So the book, of, the book of Haggai is properly pronounced Haggai. Now, I'm only going to do that once because I don't like sounding like I'm hawking a lugai whenever I'm saying, saying um, names of the book of the Bible. But the idea of this whole book, you'll probably need to look it up in the table of contents to find your way there in Scripture this morning, but is that God is giving his people a chance to reestablish themselves after being deported. Uh, we've hit on a couple of times recently how uh, the book of Jeremiah was written to God's people being in exile. 
And the very famous scripture that we have on so many calendars and t-shirts, I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future, was actually written to people who were going to be in captivity for a very long time, a good 70 years. And so this is actually the uh, first opportunity for God's people to come back to Jerusalem, about 50,000 of them, after they have been essentially under, under banishment for 70 years. If the only way that God can get our attention is to uproot us from the things that we have uh, sought instead of him, he will, he will do that. But God is also a God of second chances. Thank you, God. Is there anyone who would not, anyone here today who has ever experienced a second chance? Thank you, God, for second chances. Thank you for third chances. Lord, we're really grateful to you for being so, for being so merciful. But what you have to know is that whenever this nation had gotten overrun and deported, it wasn't because some priest somewhere had stopped saying his prayers. It was because year after year, day after day, by and large, God's people had stopped seeking the kingdom of God. And any time in a nation, there's not enough salt and light present to have a preserving effect, things can tend to go sideways. And so they did. And so what you had was in um, about 605 BC, uh, the king of Babylon lays siege to Jerusalem, begins deporting the nobles of Jerusalem to Babylon. This is where we get the book of Daniel from. And then a little later, in about uh, 587 BC, his forces come in, lay siege to Jerusalem, and they completely wipe out the temple. Solomon's temple that we've read so much about that was the crown jewel of the nation of Israel, that everything social, everything religious, everything revolved around, they completely destroyed it. They took all the gold, all the silver, all the utensils, they sent it off to another king's treasury, and and there was something deeply painful about this. It would be like if you went home today, somebody had gotten in your house, they had ransacked it, but the final thing they did was they went to your family photo and they just drove a knife through the heart of it before they left and they left it there for you to see. It was ultimate devastation. And the feeling would have been like we as the people of God, it's over. We're done. And yet, the God of second chances was these years later giving them a chance to return. One of the interesting things in the British Museum in Britain, there is what they call the Cylinder of Cyrus that is actually the king's decree that allowed the Israelites and other conquered people to go back to their homelands and sort of reestablish their religion. It's really powerful. It's still on view even today. But the idea that I want you to see this morning is that God works in history for his purposes. He works in history for his purposes. And so they go back to Jerusalem. The book of Ezra chronicles their return. And you would think that whenever they get back, okay, this last time we got overrun and deported for not keeping first things first. The temple was destroyed. So you would think that when they go back, they're going to get right about, hey, first things first, this time we're going to get it right. They begin rebuilding the temple, and they did, in fact, rebuild the foundation. And then they stopped. And so we're reading today, 15 years later, and this is what God is saying. Verse 1, 
In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai to the prophet Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Why the specificity with names and dates and people? Because God moves at specific dates, in specific places, on specific people. One of the things that the book of Revelation says is that there will be a day when the books are open and people are judged based, based on what they did with the time they were given in the days that they lived, in the time that they had. And so, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Uh, do you get there might be something undesirable there whenever God is saying these people? If you're a parent, you ever gone home and heard what your son did? Not what y'all's son did, but your son. Your daughter did this. And so anytime as a child, whenever you heard yourself referred to as the child of the other parent, one of them wasn't claiming you, you knew something was up, right? But God created these people, and so he may not be saying my people, but he's not necessarily saying your people. He just says, these people say that the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. In the assertion here in the Hebrew language, there's this air of kind of a repeated excuse. They, they kind of came to this place of, listen, it's going to get done. It's just not going to get done right now. Have you ever, I'll start Monday yourself into years of not starting yet? So this is where they are. We're going to get to it. We're going to prioritize the temple of God. And yet 15 years later, they still have only a foundation. And so what is the point here? Whenever it comes to obedience, obedience to God is always important, even if it's not always convenient. Has obeying God ever been not convenient to what you were focused on or doing at the moment? Maybe how many times this month? It tends, it tends to happen. And yet, here's what's true about the nature and character of God. Whenever he reveals his will, whether he speaks to you regarding something or it's something plainly said in Scripture, God does not make suggestions. He may speak lovingly, and yet it is still an order. It is still an order. If you got an envelope from the president requesting your presence tomorrow, even if it was requested, you're packing your bags, right? Because whenever one of higher authority calls on you, you have been called and you must respond. And so it is with the will of God in our lives. But why, what were some of the excuses they were making? Why couldn't they, after 15 years, have continued to build the temple? One thing is this, cultural pressure made God's requirements seem too costly. The truth is, whenever they started building, like people started going to City Hall and nitpicking on code. Basically saying, hey, I think I saw them doing this. Y'all really need to go look at that because I don't think they should be doing that, right? And so they keep on getting called into review. They're getting so much pressure. Eventually, they start to just get intimidated and discouraged, and they just stop pursuing the expressed will of God. Here's the thing. Following the kingdom in whatever culture we live in will always be a countercultural issue. And if we are going to wait for others to make it agreeable for us to do, we will always be waiting. One of the things we have to be willing to do as Christians is simply to be not liked. 
Some of us have faced persecution, but most of us just face unpopularity. Can we live with that? That's the first step before being able to be faithful in light of persecution. But cultural pressure made God's requirements seem too costly, and so they backed away from it. Practical concerns made God's requirements seem untimely. Maybe they were building God's temple, and they said, you know what? We don't even have places to live yet. Maybe we should sort of focus on our house a little bit. And they did focus on their houses to the tune of squandering the materials that had been provided for the temple of God. And so God says to them in verse, in verse 8, verse 3, the word of the Lord comes by the hand of Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? A few verses later, God says, go up into the hills and get lumber so that my house can be built. But one of the things we see a little bit earlier in the book of Ezra chapter 3 was that whenever they had been sent back to rebuild the temple, the king had actually provided him with lumber. And yet all there is, is a foundation. Where did the lumber go? Some pretty nice paneled houses that were built there in the city of Jerusalem. That's where... It had gone. So listen, this this picture is really powerful for us, but anything that we have been given, from money to time to clothing to animals, I mean, whatever, it's all come from the hand of God. And it's all meant to be accessible for his purposes. And so the thing that we should do is not so much only to look at them and say, how could you squander what God had given you for his purposes? But it's to look at us in our lives and to be honest, is, are, are we doing the same? Are we using everything that we have? Is everything available for his glory or are certain things simply off, are certain things simply off limits? The way that Paul would verse this attitude like in uh, the book of Philippians. He said, everyone looks out to his own interest and not to the interest of Christ Jesus. And so with what we have, do we look to the interest of God? Here's the idea, and this is always the idea. What's best for the kingdom is what's best for us. What's best for God's kingdom is always what's best for us even if in the short term it doesn't end up good for us, it's still what's ultimately best for us. And so what does the Lord say to him? I want you to see this theme that we're going to pick up on in the rest of the scripture today. Verse five, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. And so this is the word of the Lord for us today, to consider our ways to think about the direction, the status of our life, what we've been given, and to consider our ways. What God says to them, he's saying, take stock of your selfishness, see how it's turned out for you. He says, you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes in it. That's interesting. Has anyone ever felt like that? I'm getting stuff, but I never quite have enough. I'm getting paid. It doesn't go far enough. It just, everything I'm after, nothing quite seems to work out. And here's the idea whenever we're not seeking first the kingdom of God. The idea is this, whether the holes are in our pockets or our souls, the things that we gather will never be enough for us. 
If you are waiting to reach a certain status or to get a certain house or to grab the right promotion or to marry the right person before you think your heart will be whole, it will not be enough for you. It won't be. And so the book of Proverbs talks about pursuing wealth in this way. It says, don't wear yourself out to get rich because you know better. Stop. As soon as your eyes fly to it, it disappears, for it makes wings for itself and flies like an eagle to the sky. And whether we're looking for security in our money or something else, it always seems to be a moving target, doesn't it? Like, I think I'll get there, and then I get there, and there's no there there. It just, it, it flies away. It seems shifty. I thought I would be happy at this point. I retired. I got the house. Like, what else was I living for? Supposed to be living for the kingdom of God. Supposed to be living for the kingdom of God. Have you ever um, been on been on the highway in the summer and and seen that like there's water? It's it's really dry. It's really hot everywhere, but there's always water down the road. It, it always looks like you're driving toward. Has it rained up there? What is it? No, it's a mirage. It can, or maybe you've lived the life of Bugs Bunny and you're stumbling around out in the desert, right? And it always looks like there's going to be water here, but it's moving the idea of a mirage. If you're looking for something in the wrong places, it's not going to be there no matter how much it promises to be. There's a direct relationship between selfishness and self-focus and our frustration level with life. As weird as it seems, to live our lives to make ourselves happy is the most certain route to frustration and sadness. It's a guarantee. It's an absolute promise. I love this quote from a guy I've been reading recently. I'd commend him to you. His name is John Mark Comer. And he says this, what you give your attention to is the person you become. The end of your life is no more than the sum of what you gave your attention to. Isn't that powerful? What you give your attention to is the person that you become. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you gave your attention to. I have a a memorial service that I'm doing this afternoon. Came up on on short notice, and I haven't got, I, I didn't know the man who passed away. And so anytime I do a memorial service, I try to interact with the family some so that you can personalize it. Because no matter how many funerals you may do as a pastor, uh, it's always an incredibly special person that passes to those who have lost the person. And so I always try to gather a little info, ask a little bit of questions so I can know how to speak if there's anything about the person that we can honor and celebrate, uh, if they knew the Lord or not, I don't want to say things that aren't true as if they are. And so in gathering that information and getting sort of an email back of these are some things that you can use as you, as you minister to the family today, I'm so, I'm really blessed to get to celebrate this man's life. Because the things that he oriented his heart around. Here's the thing about seeking first the kingdom of God, friends. That is actually what is best for everyone you know and love. It seems like, and this is a lie a lot of parents can believe, it seems like seeking first the welfare of your children. Seeking first their future. 
Seeking first their athletic ability. Seeking first their particular college. Or it can be the same in your marriage. Seeking first, it seems like that maybe I can make them happy. Maybe I can set them up if I throw myself into this. But seeking first the kingdom of God is actually the best thing, not just for you, but for all of those you love. And so today, in, in celebrating the life of this man who has sought first the kingdom of God, his, his children have stories to tell of what it meant to see their father live for the right things and how that touched them along the way. Consider your ways, God says. Verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, and he says it again, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. He doesn't say you need to get on top of your budget. He doesn't say you need to wake up earlier and work harder. He doesn't say any of those things. He says, actually, your issue is a priority issue. He says, go take care of what I've asked you to do so that I can be glorified, says the Lord. Consider your ways. Verse 9. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. I blew it away. Why? Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens have withheld their dew. The earth has withheld its produce. I've called for a drought. God says all of these things, and what he's saying right here is you think you're going through a hard stretch, but actually you're cursed. That's what God is saying. You think times are just hard, but actually I'm making them so. I'm taking things away from you. I'm making sure you're not satisfied so that you can find what really will satisfy. And this is the idea. The Lord will frustrate your every hope and dream if it will bring you to himself. He'll do it. And if he doesn't, it must mean your conscience is seared. It's actually a terrible thing to have God step aside and say, okay, if you're not going to believe my will should be done, I'm going to move over and, and let thy will be done. It's actually a terrible thing. That's how Israel got their king. That's how they got King Saul. God said, I will be your king. They didn't want that. They wanted to be like everyone else. And so God said, okay, you actually don't want God sometimes to give you what you want. Sometimes, maybe today, if he's been stripping stuff away, it could be just efforts to capture your mind, capture your heart. I've, I've mentioned before how much I used to love basketball. Still love it. It has never loved me back. I played that game. I put everything I had into that game for years. I just marginally talented at best. And so in high school, I kept that bench warm. I was behind three players at my position that made an all-district team. Each of the three of them played college athletics. I was not in danger of, of getting there, right? And my dad always told me when I was growing up, he said, listen, us Nolan boys, we tend to be tall and clumsy until we're about 20. He said, you're probably not going to hit your athletic prime until it's way too late. And so after I, true story, true story. But as I graduated college, I, I, was, I had started, li graduated high school, I had started lifting weights, I would started to come into my own a little bit, and I thought, I know I can play somewhere. 
like not in danger of Division One, but maybe Division Two or Three or NAIA. I want to play somewhere, and so I started working out. In the mornings, I would go to a basketball gym. In the afternoons, I would go to a weight room, and at night, I would go run on a track. I got in pretty good shape for me. And so whenever I went to Angelo State University, there was a day on the calendar for walk-on tryouts for the basketball team. The school had just built a new arena, and so for me, I had it worked out. This is what I'm going to do. Now, I had been called to ministry whenever I was like 12. I knew that, and I knew that I wasn't trying to do that. I was going to be a basketball player, and then I was going to be a coach, and this is what I was after. So... um, I'm working out like crazy, and I'm building up to that day. A week out, I'm playing one-on-one basketball with my friend Landon, who spoke here a few weeks ago. I went in for a layup, and I came down and landed on top of his feet. I snapped my ankle over severely, severely, severely. It was a severe sprain. Um, Tryouts were in a few days. The next morning, I woke up and was scooting around the dorm on my bottom with tears running down my face. My ankle's huge. And so I go in, I get crutches, and they said, yeah, in a few weeks, you know, you can maybe begin to jog a little bit. I'm like, man, I've got tryouts like in days, in days. And so tryouts came, I got a trainer to wrap it up, and I tried to play. In the shooting drills, I did great because I could shoot. And everything else, though, the running, the jumping, the cutting, I couldn't do it. Didn't get caught. I got called back after one day of tryouts, but was, I was not going to make the team. I didn't make the team. I was talking with my friend Eli like a year or two later, telling him that story, and he goes, God sprained your ankle. <laughs> I said, what? He's like, God sprained your ankle. I was like, Okay, well, I don't know what to think about that. But what I do know is that that is what it took to get my attention, to stop living for putting a ball through a hoop. Now, for some people, that's their path. For this guy, it wasn't. It wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. So consider your ways. Do you keep getting disappointed? That may be by God's design. Let's finish with the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 6 How many times has God said, consider your ways in the book of Haggai? And here's what Jesus says. Consider the birds. Consider your ways, consider your ways, consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the fields grow. They don't labor or spin or thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, O you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be provided for you. What is on offer from God is 
actually ultimate freedom. Freedom from squandering our life on stupid things. Freedom for chasing wealth whenever he, he wants us to be responsible. You know, God says a lazy son sleeps through harvest. I mean, God feeds the birds, but he doesn't drop the worms in their nest. Like we understand what he's saying and what he's not, right? But what he is doing is he's giving us freedom from wearing ourselves out as if there is no God in heaven. And he's saying, if you will seek first my kingdom, you will have enough. You will be provided for. You will be in my hands and you will be my people. So consider your ways. Amen. Amen. I want to invite the worship team. Let's pray, friends. Lord, we love you. And God, um, it's a fact that sometimes the most simple messages are the hardest ones to, to get. That's why you repeat yourself so often. But Lord, today we consider our ways. We take your invitation. Consider your ways. And Lord, my prayer is, is for those of us in the room who have been running after the wrong things, or maybe we've been running after what we think is the right thing, but we've put some good things in your place. We've put them in the place of God. And we're not asking you what you want for our lives. We're simply trying to tell you what we want. And we're spending our days exhausting ourselves for it. Lord, would you bring us back to yourself? Lord, we consider our ways. We consider the fact that you told us that your yoke was easy and your burden was light. And yet we feel like we're carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders, not knowing how tomorrow is going to work out. Lord, what if today we put ourselves in your hands again, seeking first your kingdom, knowing that you hold tomorrow. And since you've got it, we can just be your child today. We can just live for you today. Lord, I'm praying that you call every heart back to yourself. That's what I'm praying. Every head still bowed. Um, Crystal prayed earlier during worship that if there was any of us here today that we do not know our Heavenly Father and, and that today would be the day. Today, as we're talking about prioritizing God's will, that just begins with meeting God. And what I want you to know is that if you don't know Him, you can be forgiven by Him and that you are loved by Him and that you're, he wants you to be his child, and he's calling you to himself. So I don't know everybody here, but is there anyone here, by slipping your hand up, you would say, Pastor, can you pray for me? I would like to be right with God. I would like to be his child. Is there anyone here that, that sign, you'd lift your hand up and say, would you pray for me? I want to give my heart to God today. I see you, friend. Anybody else today? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask everyone in the room to pray the same prayer. And perhaps it's not the case that you're uh, coming to the Lord for the first time today, but maybe it is the case that you want to reorient your heart towards Him. It's been stuff between you and God, and there doesn't need to be any more. So it's a good day to turn to go the other direction. Friends, pray this with me. Heavenly Father, you said in your word, that if I believe in my heart, confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, 
that I would be saved. That's what I'm doing. Come into my life. Forgive me of sin. Be my Lord. In Jesus' name. stand with me. Here's how we're going to close today. I'd like to invite the prayer partners forward. Um, have some prayer partners in front and in back. If you have anything in your life that uh, you need prayer for, maybe connected with the message, it may be something entirely different. But as we go back into worship today, let's seek the Lord. Let's get brothers and sisters to agree with us in faith. So again, prayer partners, front and back. If you need prayer,
Stop, never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're 